And we're back on the Morshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Morshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And today, great big get, Mark Messier to talk about the All-Star Game. Then we're going to have go who's up, who's down, of course. We'll have our calls of the week at the end. And we'll have the topics. We'll hit on Tom Brady, ESPN, Brady's future, the NFL, Romo, Nance, Aikman, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Super Bowl coming up in uh, next week. Apple, DraftKings, the Olympics start. Who knew? Uh, and then Major League Baseball, I got a little something on Carlos Beltran. John, always great to be with you. The Winter Olympics? or the, what, what Olympics are we talking we about, Andy? We don't know. That's, that's kind of the story. Right. I'll get into that. Feels like NBC just wants to get past this one. All right, let's do who's up and who's down. Who's up? Who's down? All right, I'll take the first one. I know we're going to talk about this later, but for who's up, I've got Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington of ESPN. Tom Brady announces retirement, but you know this, Andrew, even before he did that, I was going to have Schefter and Darlington as my who's up. Because here's the thing, Brady retired officially, but we already knew what was happening thanks to Schefter and Darlington. They wrote about his retirement. They stuck with the story through days of denials. They never took their story down. And most importantly to me, they potentially angered someone that ESPN really wants to be in business with. They already do the man in the arena with, uh, together with Tom Brady. You know they want to create more programming with him. This was an easy who's up for me. All right. My who's up goes to Foxes, at least for now, Troy Aikman, uh, who had a really good NFC championship game, uh, had a stinger at the end, great line when Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, the season was on him, and he said something to the effect of, uh, I guess it's the 49ers are going to have to rely on Garoppolo here, and he sounded doubtful. He proved to be correct. Good time for Aikman to do well. Uh, Amazon, as we've talked about and reported, they are interested in bringing Troy Aikman on for Thursday nights, possibly without Michaels. Uh, and then you have Fox that wants to retain him. Could he do both? And then the, the little wild card that I threw in is that ESPN is considering going now after Al Michaels. Uh, Al is not only going to work with certain people, I believe Troy Aikman's one of them. Could they be a, a daily double? And ESPN goes for that and tries to really have a marquee Monday night booth. Uh, I think that's possible. So a good time for Troy Aikman to do well, and he did. All right, I'm going to go right into who's down then. I have David Kenny, Nielsen's CEO. Num this is the second time, Andrew, that we've honored Kenny with a who's down nod. He's in danger of getting in Chris Ripley territory. He's, of course, the head of uh, Sinclair, which is uh, having such problems with the Bally Sports RSNs. Kenny runs Nielsen, which admitted a couple of months ago that they made a bunch of mistakes that have hurt the TV network business. They miscounted out-of-home viewing, which is, is exactly as it sounds. They, uh, they weren't able to count people watching shows outside the home, bars, restaurants, friends' homes, hotels, things like that. And less viewers means smaller ratings, which means fewer ad dollars, which for the Sports Business Journal audience is a big story. So now, Thanks to the Video Advertising Bureau, we can put a number on just how much that costs the networks, $350 million. Nielsen and the TV networks, they don't get along in the best of times, 
And with these types of mistakes, it's hard to see that relationship getting any better anytime soon. I think you go the worst of times there. Uh, it's going to be going to be poetic. Uh, <laughs> all right, someone who who has been poetic in the past, uh, but really wasn't in the, in the AFC Championship is Tony Romo. He's got my who's down back-to-back weeks for Romo with the who's down. I mean, he was lost. It's been well chronicled at the end of the game. Uh, first off, they missed what Andy Reid was talking about when uh, there's a stoppage in play. And he's talking about too many men on the line of scrimmage lost there. End of game. He's telling the Bengals to maybe let the chiefs score. They're winning. Then he has the chiefs also maybe should down the ball at the one. I mean, we're not playing Madden here, uh, and just he and, and Jim Nance have struggled the last couple of weeks. It's been a, it's been an issue all year. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit further in topic two, but uh, but Tony Romo, uh, who's down? CBS is gonna have to figure that out uh, for next year. All right, let's get right into the topics. We have topic one: Tom Brady. How can it, anything else be topic one uh, th- this week? He officially announced his retirement. It was, of course, reported over the weekend. There is a billion things he can do media-wise. What do you think is on offer for him? Uh, Number one, if he wants to be in a booth, he could be in a booth. He's kind of like Peyton Manning. We've been writing about Peyton Manning for forever since he retired. Uh, Everyone went after Peyton Manning. Um, The world's changed, though, since Peyton Manning's when he retired and Manning is part of the reason why now athletes can have uh, these all encompassing deals that are worth a lot more money. uh, Like Manning does with ESPN where he's doing the uh, Manning cast with his brother 10 times a year, but then also he has a relationship as a producer with his Omaha productions with ESPN. Brady could do that. Look, Amazon is an obvious one. We talked about how Michael's uh, wanting certain partners if Tom Brady wanted to do that, maybe you include TV 12 and, and then also his production arm. If you're Amazon, uh, that would make a huge splash and would really bring a shine uh, to Amazon's broadcast. There's no indication he wants to do that, but if he did, I think that's what a deal would kind of look like if it's even possible. Yeah. If I'm Tom Brady, to me, Peyton Manning set the template. I, I find it really hard to believe that he's going to be in a booth calling games 18 times a year, traveling to, to, to various uh, places. But if he can hang out, zoom in, you know, uh, get bring, on, bring along a friend, maybe Gronk, who knows what's going to happen to Gronk, and then uh, have people zoom in, all of a sudden, what you have with the Manning cast on, on Monday Night Football, maybe you can have with Sunday Night Football and the Brady cast or something along those lines. My gut would be he probably won't do that, right? Because he'll be compared to Manning. It's already been done. But yes, there is. I th- But I think we're both on the same page. Something creative, most likely not in the booth. It seemed like he retired, you know, in large part because his family wants him to be home more. Doesn't really make sense to travel that many times a year. These guys don't have to do it. And the other thing for... Tom Brady, this will be there whenever he wants it. If he ever wants to do this, he doesn't have to do it this year. If he wants to do it next year, there will be opportunities for him. So there doesn't really necessarily need to be a rush for him to do this. And again, I kind of think it's unlikely. I would not say no chance, but unlikely, it seems to me at this point uh, when I look at it. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. It's unlikely. And don't forget TV12, he runs a fitness company and his uh, what he does with the man in the arena it's not him as a tv star it's him executive producing the whole thing all right let's go into the espn angle of it because a big media angle 
you you loved Schefter and Darlington. I look, they deserve credit. Let me make that clear. They deserve credit for the story. But when you work at a big place like ESPN, which has so many arms, which is the Yankees of sports media, it is complicated. On Sunday, the day after they reported the story, Schefter started off NFL countdown and he's talking about their story. And then in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen is a big thing, um, advertising man in the arena on ESPN+. Plus. There is a conflict there. All kinds of rumors with people texting me and I've looked into things about what happened behind the scenes and how they got the story. I'm not getting into those because nothing's substantiated, but they got the story. They stuck with it. ESPN deserves a lot of credit. That said, you do have a business relationship. And my other issue is, and this is, look, you break a lot of stories. I try to break a lot of stories. You're, you have neurosis when you break stories. You go, you never want to be wrong. And when you're using source stories, the one thing I would have liked to see in the original story is maybe the, the, the reporting that came out from the Buccaneers weren't told. Um, the fact that you tried Don Yee, Brady's agent, I'd like to hear that you couldn't get him on the phone because you left holes to be poked at. Ended up they were true. They were confident in the reporting. They doubled down. All credit to them. But to me, again, you always want to be right before being, you know, uh, first. You want both, of course, and, and they got both. And also, you want to protect yourself because you have to think, yes, we have this story, but what is the reaction going to be to people on the record like Tom Brady Sr., who, you know, said what he said, which really kind of shot it down a little bit. They proved they end up they ended up being right, but not a great look in that process. And last thing, and I've, I've gone on a little too long. I apologize, John. But last thing. <laughs> I'm used to it, Andrew. I'm used to it. Go ahead. <laughs> if Brady had changed his mind, no one would have cared that they were right originally. That's true. Uh, three things. One is I'm not going to go into sourcing because you and I both know when people try to guess our sources, it's bizarre how often they're wrong. Easily more than 50% of the time. I would put it up at like 70 to 80% of the time. I go 90%. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's a big amount that's wrong. Secondly, I agree with you. When I read the story, I wanted to sort of get a clue about how they found out Brady told ex-teammates, Brady told his coaches, or at least say who didn't know about it. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't know. Like I, as a reader, I did want to see that. But here's the thing, and my third point about source stories like that is that Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington have my trust as reporters. And, and so I trust that this is a story that was vetted and was going to be true. They've earned that trust over the years. And so that's that's when sources work. If this had come from a reporter that I didn't know, I'd have a heck of a lot more skepticism uh, with it than it coming from uh, from Schefter. And ESPN has a process. They have some great editors uh, led by David Kraft inside who who aren't going to just let this go. But they were they were on that limb. And I guess my thing would be I'd always be worried about if somehow Brady changed his mind. Uh, that would be my concern. Um, and so, uh, so that's the, that's the one thing that I felt like they left themselves open, but you're, you had them on your who's up and they definitely deserve credit because they had the story and that's the, you know, Twitter, you got people saying, how could they do this to a lot? That's not their job is to, to break the story. Uh, and they broke it. Good for them. They don't work for TB12. All right, let's go to topic two, the NFL, specifically Tony Romo and Jim Nance. Uh, this is a nearly $30 million booth. Uh, Romo at 18 million with everything in uh, Nance in the 10 to $12 million range. Um, they didn't live up to it. it was, they weren't additive. They were the opposite. 
this is an issue for CBS moving forward. These two kind of seem like they're on different pages. Romo has gotten the brunt of it. What do you think? You know, one of the reasons that CBS wanted so badly to keep Tony Romo in their booth is that it, it provided uh, marketing for them. You know, if you, it, CBS executives, when they would go into airports, people would talk about Tony Romo. And, uh, and I, th I think that's still true. However, th this was, they, they didn't have, from my vantage point, a very good playoffs. It wasn't just the AFC championship. It was, a, you know, the game before that as well. I started hearing, I started getting texts from people, friends, not in the business that were like, you know, when is Romo going to shut up or how, what's going on with, with that game? Whether or not this is something that, that CBS is going to have to deal with, uh, you know, it, it does come down to the fact that CBS got 48 million viewers for that game, up 15% from last year. They, they might be getting a lot more criticism than they got in the past. Maybe they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, better paid or overpaid for, for what, what they provided, but the results are the results. And if it's a bottom line business, yeah, they still are getting the viewership. They are. And I think when you look at it, the, the question I have is when Romo was coming up, there's a big push from CBS executives, um, other people close to Nance about how Nance was the one making Romo. Uh, I think Nance has to show he can coexist with partners. We've seen this where he struggled at the end with Phil Sims. Uh, Sims ended up being gone and Romo was in. Clark Kellogg, it didn't work out on uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's kind of found a little bit of a rhythm uh, with uh, Raftery and Grant Hill, but that's something you have to see. And an example I would tell you is when Romo had a good spot, right? Something that was really could have been a plus for Romo in this sea of criticism where he made a joke about dropping a ball or fumbling a ball in the, you know, in a last second playoff game, which of course he did. Nance missed that. And then Romo, even worse, had to explain the joke. And no, that was like a magic, could have been a magic Romo moment that we're so accustomed to. You, and look, Andrew, I got a question for you. You were watching the game. Yeah. Did you miss it? I missed it when, when Romo said it. I mean, you're, you're asking me so it's an I, I did not miss it. So uh, uh, you, you, know, you got I, it, really? Uh, yeah, I got it. I mean, that's Romo's uh, signature playoff moment, unfortunately, for him, uh, <laughs> that, that fumble uh, way back when. But, but that's where your partner helps you, and that's where there's kind of a disconnect. So that's something going into next year, they're just going to have to – um, they're gonna have to work on it and, and, and try to figure it out because it is going to become, it could become more of a focal point at the end of the day. You're right. The, the numbers are the numbers. Uh, but they obviously have a lot of, they think a lot of them, you don't pay people like that. If you don't think they bring value, which they have, uh, you know, cause look, I, we've talked about this before. I've been a Romo guy, 2019, uh, Chiefs, Patriots, that was maybe the greatest analyst job I've ever seen when he was predicting every play you so on it. And the other thing, in Nance's defense, that last call, which we're going to listen to later, Romo jumped all over that call. Get, let Nance make the call. We're going to listen to it. Then, well, we'll listen to it. Well, I will save that for the end of the show, call of the week. But Nance did not get a chance to make that call. Romo was just stamped all over it. Stumped. You know, Andrew, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Mike Tirico was with Drew Brees and, and Tirico ended up having to provide the play-by-play -play and the analysis and I felt that way watching Romo and Nance. Uh, Romo, before every single fourth quarter drive, would talk about, oh, this is the biggest drive of the game, you know, but he wouldn't provide that analysis. Like it, it, during one of the touchdowns, it was Nance who had to say, boy, that was a great block by the, uh, by the wide receiver there. And I, I, I just felt like Nance almost was trying to, to take on 
um, uh, more than one role while calling the game. All right, let's move to topic three uh, before um, a little bit later we'll have Mark Messier for an 11-minute interview. Um, Apple, uh, I wrote about it in my newsletter this week. You've been all over Apple for a long time. Uh, I'm eager to hear what you have to say. I'm hearing, I don't like to say people are in first, you know, or companies are in first because the only thing that matters is who finishes with the gold medal at the end. But I am hearing they are super aggressive on Sunday ticket and they really want it. The NFL wants them because that's one of the major companies they're not uh, in, in business with. Um, I also hear they're in on MLS. I previously reported those weekday MLB games are likely to be theirs. Um, what says you, John? Look, the idea of Apple getting into sports has been talked about for a long time. They were talking to the Pac-12 about picking up those rights several years ago. Uh, uh, you've reported, uh, we've confirmed that they, they are, in, not that you needed the confirmation, but uh, you know, they've been talking to Major League Baseball about the, um, you know, get, getting a week weeknight uh, package of games. Uh, MLS, this is, despite how big and how deep-pocketed Apple is, they're the type of company that takes baby steps. They takes baby steps with everything they do. And the idea of them going after a, a small, the smallest MLB package or the MLS package would be baby steps in order to get the big kahuna, which is the NFL. I can see a scenario. I don't think they're going to get the NFL. I think that they're going to be they're They're, they're kicking the tires. Uh, and I, I have long said it's going to go to ESPN. I still believe that. But I can understand where Apple would go after the NFL. The iPhone right now is, uh, I think it's like 15 years old. In tech terms, that's like an antique. That's, that's really old. They need to increase their share of the market with the iPhone, but it's already sort of as, as far as it can get almost. I mean, it's pretty long in, in the tooth. They need to ensure that Americans keep buying iPhones. And what better way to do that than to get the most popular programming there is in the NFL and, and Sunday ticket and create an app and, and kind of get things along those lines. Um, I, I think that that's, that's a, certainly a possibility with that. I, I report this as well. They have what they take over the Verizon deal um, and you put all those things on the phone and maybe they're, they're in business. Look, until they do something, you're right. We can't really count them in. I just keep hearing they're going to be aggressive. I think ESPN might add a partner to try to uh, go against that. And then we both reported that Amazon uh, has had talks about buying NFL Network 49%. Could they also then get Sunday ticket? And then uh, kind of stalking on the outside is uh, the Discovery Warner uh, behemoth that really wants to get big into sports, even more into sports. Yeah, like I'm not ready to say Apple's going to get Sunday ticket because that's the big one. Like, right, the MLB games, ESPN, nobody wanted those. Uh, MLS, there's, from what I can tell, there's not a lot of interest. ESPN at the right price would take it back, but there's not a lot of interest from CBS is a no, NBC is a no, Fox is maybe a small linear package if, um, you know, it's at the really, really right price. Uh, so they're basically out in terms of the big money that MLS might want. So those aren't the big things. It's, it's the Sunday tickets that's the big thing. But the reason it gets a headline when you write about, M you know, and the MLB deal, it's Apple. It's Apple. So, I mean, it's a big deal if they get even one of these things. Yeah. And the thing that, that I'm looking at too here is, you know, Amazon, when they did these rights deals, they, they did 
the same type of rights deals that we've been writing about for decades now. This is going to be more than just showing games on Apple TV Plus and, and, and being done with it. I mean, when they were talking to the Pac-12, this was reported by my old friend Trent Mickle of the Wall Street Journal, like their proposal was to create individual apps for each team in the Pac-12 Pac that could then go global, you know, with, with all the programming and all the games and people would have to subscribe to them. Like they're thinking much differently about this video than traditional media companies are. All right, move on, DraftKings. You wrote about a topic number what, four. What do you think? What's going on there? All right, DraftKings, uh, you know, we just talked about Apple. We just talked about Amazon. Uh, uh, we talked about like Warner Media and Discovery getting together. Well, how about DraftKings? Uh, they just hired two well-respected media executives, Stacey McCollum from ESPN and Todd Dubster, who used to work at uh, Universal and Disney. DraftKings, it owns Brent Musburger's company, uh, Vizen. That's the, the uh, gambling programming uh, company. It has partnerships with Dan Levitard and Meadowlark Media. It has a partnership with iHeartMedia. It's growing a media business. I mean, so, so many people have been so focused on these gambling companies paying through the nose for like information reporters like Schefter or Woj, uh, you know, but DraftKings really is building up a content portfolio and it's not a stretch to me to see them get involved with media rights, maybe, you know, sh sharing something with one of the networks and, and getting something that you can really put gambling odds uh, uh, next to or something along those lines. A mid-tier, lower-tier league or conference Maybe they could go all in with uh, with a DraftKings or, or or with a FanDuel or any one of these companies. It's something that's out there. It's something that's not imminent, but you can see where this is going. Because I think where th those companies really make a lot of sense is if I can watch a game and bet on it in game, right? That's where the bread is buttered. But do you think we're close to that? Because to me, the lag is a problem for in-game betting. You can't stream something that's 30 seconds behind the action. Uh, look, if you talk to anybody in the business, they say, yeah, we're, we're close. But uh, if you watch Paramount Plus uh, with the AFC Championship game, I think it was behind by a significant amount. And, and that, that definitely has to get better before there's any league or conference that's going to feel uh, safe, secure enough to, uh, to go that route. Now we move to topic five, the Olympics start. John, who knew? Who knew? Uh, look, I have a column coming out uh, that already might be out when you're listening to this. Uh, and the, the lead of it is that at the end of these Olympics, Mike Tirico, the host of the Olympics for NBC, is going to do his inner Belichick and say, instead of saying we're on to Cincinnati, he's going to say we're on to Paris, which is where... <laughs> Which is where the next Olympics are located. 2024. Olympics, yeah, 24. I think this is a get through these Olympics. Hope that your people are fine. Nobody gets, um, you know, they have a zero COVID policy in China. Very strict restrictions if you get COVID there. Um, and we all know the geopolitical questions. Uh, that's my take. They just want to get through this. I think the ratings are going to be very, you know, not going to be up to snuff. Uh, what do you think? Can I give a glass half full? Look at you. Look at you. All right. You're, that uh, was coming in. John Oran, the nice guy. I'm the nice guy's coming in. You haven't lived up to that, just for the record. You really haven't been the nice guy, especially the people like Chris Ripley, David Kenny, certain executives you nailed. But all right, John Oran, nice guy. Let's hear it. All right, ready? The Olympics in, uh, in Beijing for two and a half weeks are going to dominate primetime ratings. NBC is going to win the night 
every single night during the Olympics by a lot. And that's going to, that, that's going to be good for NBC. That's a, that's the nicest thing I can say. Mark, that's not bad. I mean, look, no fans though. Just the, um, the announcers aren't going to be on site. I don't you know, know what? Another uh, interesting thing is they're taking everything live and throwing it on Peacock as well. So if you're a cord cutter, you can uh, subscribe to Peacock and get it. And they're hoping, even if the TV audiences aren't going to be as big, they're hoping that that'll really start to jumpstart uh, Peacock in a, in a big way. We'll see if that's true. Look, the geopolitical stuff, they're probably going to criticize for that. Um, you know, I think they're a little worried about how that's going to be received and what they'll do. Even Bob Costas said some things, uh, the former host of the Olympics, uh, in terms of you know, how they'll handle it. And they'll, you know, touch on it, but they'll only really go into it if there's something big. And, and look, I kind of understand that. I, I, I don't think anybody's tuning in the Olympics to hear uh, all political talk and NBC didn't put the Olympics uh, in Beijing and China. They, they didn't decide on that. You know, the Olympic committee did. So, you know, once you're in bed with the Olympics, you're in bed with the Olympics. I just don't think it's going to have that sense of excitement because uh, these are all sports that most of us aren't that interested until every four years. And without the crowd, uh, without the announcers there, look, Molly Solomon, who heads up their production, uh, they're going to have a tall task to make it as interesting as possible. They had some pretty good moments in Tokyo in the summer, uh, but that, that's going to be their job. You know, they always kind of always have the saccharine coverage, making everything into like this perfect story of, uh, you know, of underdogs who make it and this, that, and the other thing. And they're always so, you know, a nice little bow on top of them, but they're going to have to try to really make that TV programming uh go even further because uh, I just think the atmosphere may not be as great as you really want for an Olympics. I love your Belichick line. Like, we're on to Paris. They're also on to LA 2028. And of course, the next Winter Olympics is going to be in 2026 in Milan, which uh, is in Europe and will help NBC as well. All right, topic six, a quick one just for me. Uh, yes Network uh, signed Carlos Beltran to be an analyst. Uh, they have some games opening with Ken Singleton retiring. Uh, and then David Cohn is going to still do a lot of games for yes, but it's going to be on Sunday night baseball every week on ESPN. So they bring in Beltron. I think this is going to be a home run uh, for the yes network uh, because I covered Beltron. He just, he's a guy who has a lot of insight, even when he was a player at the end of his career would really try to answer questions can go deeper. It's interesting, of course, in New York, because Beltron got fired by the Mets before he ever managed a game because he was involved in the 2017 cheating scandal with the Astros. Um, and that was, they beat the Yankees in the ALCS. How will Yankee fans accept that? I think it's a home run. I think it's gonna be good. I think it's good for Beltron. He deserves to be back in the game uh, when you see that uh, Alex Cora is back in the game uh, and AJ Hinch is also back in the game, both managing. So I think that I like that move. Yeah, the anger over the Astros seems to be dissipating a little bit. Yeah, no doubt about that. I don't know, Jeff Lunau, who wasn't as popular as GM, I don't think he's getting back in the game, though. All right, John, now our big get, Mark Messier, Hall of Famer. It doesn't need an introduction. Big part of ESPN's coverage this weekend of the NHL All-Star Game. Mark, first off, thanks for joining us. Well, great to be with you this morning. Mark, the big news here on the podcast is last week, John shaved his head, all right, which followed my, if people call it the Marshan, the people who listen to this podcast, but it's really the Messier, 
So here's how we want to start off like this. I mean, when did you first shave your head? I mean, this is the, if you look at John's haircut, that's the Messier, not, I'm not a full Messier, but it is a partial Messier. Well, I, I first did it after we lost in uh, 1993 in the playoffs era. I was so discouraged, so disappointed in, in, in missing the playoffs. Uh, uh, so disappointed in the year. I just went in there and did something radical and shaved my head and never looked back. And actually when I did, it, I said, wow, it doesn't look so bad. So. <laughs> That's better than our stories. My, my stories, you know, started to recede and I had to, I used to have a big head of hair. Uh, and then John, John joined the club this week. Welcome to the club, John. <laughs> it feels good. I miss my bangs though, Mark. Yeah. You'll get used to it. <laughs> uh, uh, Mark, take me back now when you're a young phenom uh, coming up uh, and big star, your dad played, you played hockey family and you first dealt with the media you know, how old were you about? And, and what was that like for you as I would think probably as a kid uh, where you started to deal with the media and get attention? What was that like when you're coming up and, and having to deal with the media for the first time? Well, well, first I have to correct you. I never was a young phenom. Uh, I never was a, a young star. I was actually a late uh, developer. Uh, I always played against kids much older than me. Uh, and uh, I was one of the players that uh, got drafted as a very raw talent. Uh, and I actually had to learn uh, a lot as I, when I turned pro, uh, I was certainly an unfinished product being drafted. So uh, I, I didn't have the, uh, the equity coming into the National Hockey League of having a great junior career at, at any point, to be honest with you. I did have the distinction of playing pro hockey when I was 17. So it did give me a leg up on what I felt was my competition coming into the, my first year of pro. But uh, to answer your question more so, uh, you know, the media was always something that I saw happening with my dad being a coach and a player. Um, I saw it, players get interviewed as a very, at a very young age on Hockey Night in Canada watching the games. And one thing that I learned very early on is that when, when you did interview that uh, you give a lot of praise and thanks to the people around you. And uh, that was something that always stuck with me. And and it became very clear to me that the players, uh, when they were talking about themselves, uh, it didn't come across very well. So uh, given, given uh, a lot of credit to your players, uh, given a lot of credit to your teammates, line mates, uh, was one of the most important lessons I learned very early on with the media. So, Mark, you were, of course, a part of uh, some legendary teams up in Edmonton. Uh, you were also part of some legendary teams uh, down here in New York. And we all know, like, Canada hockey is a national sport. And in America, it isn't necessarily. From a media standpoint, how did you make that transition when you moved from Canada uh, down to the United States as a star player in the league? Well, to be uh, that's a great question. You know, uh, you know, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. We are we're all Montreal Canadian fans, Toronto Maple Leafs fans, original six fans growing up because we didn't have NHL hockey. We did get the uh, the WHA come in the, in the early '70s, so we did have pro hockey, but it wasn't the NHL. Uh, we find ourselves uh, from my hometown in Edmonton getting an NHL franchise in 1979, which was something that none of us could believe was reality. I was fortunate to be a hometown boy that was able to play on that team. Uh, but uh, to answer your question, uh, when I did get traded from the from Edmonton to New York, the one thing that I really was ho hoping for was that hockey mattered as much as it did in Edmonton in New York. And when I got to New York, I realized very quickly that. Uh, there was a passionate fan base there, generations of fans who had followed the team for a long time. And to have that kind of uh, external 
pressure, I think, was something that really important for the team. Uh, there was something to play for. It mattered. People cared. And it became obvious that uh, at New York, uh, the Rangers fandom and the people around them were, were incredibly uh, supportive, uh, demanding, but it's one of the things that made it so special playing there. You know, the unique thing about the uh, New York media market are the back pages, of course. Was it tough to get used to that, to being on the back pages? Well, we wanted to be on the back page, to be honest with you. It was, it was tough. There was a lot of competition to get on the back page. So uh, we found ourselves uh, my third year in, in New York, uh, you know, playing on and having a great season. And uh, the story became bigger and bigger as the year went on. And so we did find ourselves with more press. And of course, with all the other professional sport teams and everything going on in New York City, it wasn't easy getting that back page uh, <laughs> splash, but uh, we found ourselves getting our fair share, uh, and right, rightfully so. We had a great team. We we're carving out a, an interesting story and ultimately going on to win the Stanley Cup, and, and then there was no problem getting the back page. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the things about New York City. You, nothing's given to you for free. Uh, you got to earn everything you get in this city, in this town. And uh, But, again, that's what makes it so special. Mark, overall, how would you describe your relationship with the media through your playing career? I would say I had a great relationship with the media because I, re I really respected uh, their, that they had a job to do. I didn't always necessarily agree with what they, their point of view or what they wrote, but that was really irrelevant to the working relationship that we had. Um, there was many times that, you know, I was frustrated and, and uh, didn't agree with what was being read, but Every morning, every day at practice, I would say hello to any particular journalist that uh, had a different opinion that, than me because we had to coexist. We had to work together. Um, I learned not to take it personally. I learned that anything that was written, uh, uh, not everybody that was reading it necessarily agreed with it either. And so I think for me, uh, I had a great uh, relationship uh, in the media from the time I came into the, into the league. Uh, back then, the, the, our, our two journalists used to travel with us on the planes, on the buses, in the hotels. They were with us 24-7. And so you get to really, uh, you know, appreciate the job that they're doing. Uh, you get to be friends with them. There's a certain trust factor. Obviously, coming to New York, it was a much bigger media presence. Uh, but the same, you know, philosophy uh, stood with me from the time I came in the league that, uh, you know, these are people with a job to do. They're professionals. Uh, you don't always have to agree, but you have to learn to respect them and, and make sure you have a great working relationship. So to answer your question, I, I, I thought I had a great relationship with the media all the way through because I guess in the, in the end, uh, I respected the job that they had to do. Mark, you worked in the Rangers front office for a little bit. What's the closest you've come to running a team or, or being a, a coach? Uh, how close have you come to, to actually doing that? Uh, not very close at all, to be honest with you. Uh, there was some talk uh, early on at, at some point during the Rangers that I might coach a team. Uh, they decided to go a different direction, but that's probably as close as it's ever come. Is it something you want to do? Uh, it, it was something that uh, I would think about if, under the right situation with the right people that uh, just like when I played, uh, you have to be surrounded with people that have the same vision that uh, you can trust. Uh, and uh, they believe in you. And, and when that happens, uh, you know, I think that's a starting point of any kind of uh, culture that's necessary in order to be successful in any sports uh, enterprise. All right, let's talk what you're doing now. Uh, you got Gretzky over at Turner, Messier at ESPN, 
Is there a rivalry? Are you watching what they're doing, saying, hey, look what they're doing. We're going to do it better. Uh, take me through that from your perspective. Well, I, I don't know if you call it a rivalry. I would definitely call it healthy competition, which makes everybody better. Um, you know, I think that we, we're both saddled with the huge responsibility of, uh, of bringing the game into people's living rooms and, and making it fun, making it educational, making it entertaining. Uh, that, that, that's a big responsibility, at least in my opinion, anyways, there. So, you know, when I, when I took the job, I wanted to make sure that I could, you know, do a good job to begin with. I wanted to, I remember as a kid listening to, you know, uh, hockey night in Canada and the great Dick Irvin and Danny, Danny Gallivan and, and how electrifying they could make the game and how they could bring it into your own living room. And so entertaining and educational. And they would, you know, it said they, they had lunch with, you know, Guy Lafleur the day before, and they would t tell you what they talked about with that player. And it was just so encapturing to, to hear these stories. So, you know, and that was when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, but still remember those, uh, those broadcasts. So, uh, you know, I know there's a big responsibility and, uh, but uh, yes, I do watch TNT. I watch uh, pretty much uh, hockey at 24 seven. So I'm watching all telecasts. And of course I'm interested in watching Wayne and, and to see how he's doing. And, you know, Wayne has a, you know, a unique perspective on the game uh, in, in a lot of different ways. He knows a lot, he's seen a lot, he's done a lot. And, uh, and the trick is to be able to articulate that in a, in a meaningful way to the viewer. Now, Marchand brought up Gretzky, of course, but Turner has, you know, Eddie Olchick, Rick Tockett, Anson Carter. You, of course, you have uh, Chris Chelios, Brian Boucher. Who's winning if you face off right now, Turner or ESPN? That's a good question. I think that, uh, oh, ESPN takes him down easily. 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 Not, Another not prediction from Messier. Another Hell prediction yeah. from Messier. Hell this yeah. one might not be as yeah, big. Drop, let's go. Let's drop the puck right now. Let's go. <laughs> You know what? I think I think that could rate pretty well, actually. I think people would watch that. Well, Chelly just retired a few years ago, so right away we got a, a you know an advantage right there. You look like you're in shape. You're ready to go. It looks like to me, Mark. Trying to stay in shape. Okay. All right, Mark Messier. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the Martian and Orient Sports Media Podcast, and uh, best of luck with everything, including the All Star Weekend, where you'll be a big part of ESPN's coverage. Thanks a lot for your time. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to the All-Star game and appreciate the support. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much. Messier, as good as advertised there. I got to tell you, Andrew, if we get a Turner versus ESPN hockey game, the Marchand and Oran Sports Media Podcast has to be a sponsor of the game. And I don't see, even with Wayne Gretzky, I don't see uh, Turner getting close on this one. Oh, yeah, look, they both have some great hockey players. I think the losers of the game have to either get the Messier, the Marchand, or the Orant haircut. That <laughs> will motivate those guys. Is he, is he Gretzky shaving his head? Uh, I don't see it. So, but that, that would be good. That, that, that was a great spot. And uh, good luck to those guys with the uh, All Star game on ESPN and ABC uh, this upcoming weekend. All right, we move to our calls of the week. Call of the week. John, what do we got? All right, let's start with, uh, with Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, calling the end of that great 49ers-Rams game when Jimmy Garoppolo throws a game-ending interception. Garoppolo under pressure. Donald got there in the air, intercepted by the Rams, and they may ride to the Super Bowl on that. 
Aaron Donald with the pressure and Trayvon Howard with the interception. They bring five, and you see the pressure. Here comes Aaron Donald, Von Miller's back there, and Jimmy Garoppolo just trying to get rid of the ball and hoping not to take a sack and go backwards any further than he already had. And there's Trayvon Howard to end the game. I have to tell you, I love Joe Buck's style. It's It, it evokes Pat Summerall. It's an economy of words. You know, he speaks like one or two words at a time, almost like staccato. And I'm just used to watching football that way. I thought Troy came in. Troy, as you said, he was on who's up for you. He's had a great playoffs. I thought he came in with analysis. I thought that was a good call all the way around. Yeah, I thought they were on top of it. They nailed that. Um, You want to get the emotion of that play, uh, which they did. Um, I like how they headlined it quickly. Uh, Buck. He didn't go full. Uh, here comes the Rams are in the Super Bowl, but he did say the you know Rams. This may put them into the Super Bowl. It did, of course, uh, and so that's that's a tremendous game-ending play, basically a call. And then Aikman came back with the follow-up, good one-two punch. And that's the thing about Aikman and, and uh, Buck. I, I just think they're familiar. Uh, you know, sitting at the end of your couch, kind of listen, uh, that's easy at this point, which I know some people, you know, there's that Joe Buck divide sometimes. I think he's a very, you know, one of the best ever. Uh, and uh, when you listen to them, uh, I think it's very familiar and very easy. All right. On the other hand, uh, let's go to CBS and the AFC championship. You want to lead us into that one? Yeah, this is uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, and they're calling the game-winning field goal in overtime for the AFC championship that sent the Bengals to the Super Bowl. McPherson and Cincinnati is heading to the Super Bowl. He called it again, I'm sure. He walked up and he goes, can you believe coach? We're going to the Super Bowl. And they did it. They beat Mahomes at home. Wow, Joe Burrow, no way. Only two quarterbacks have won an FBS national title game and a Super Bowl. And that's Joe Namath and Joe Montana, and Joe Burrow's trying to be the third. From 18 down. Look, I think you know already. I'm in the bag for Nance. I think Nance does a good job. That actually, that wasn't Tony Romo's worst. I thought Tony Romo was okay there. He he did jump all over Nance, but he came in with, you know, that that stat at the end, I guess. I would have liked Tony to step back and let Jim Nance call it a little bit more uh, because I thought Nance had it. Uh, It wasn't my favorite call, but... Considering how the entire game went, I thought it was okay. You got to let Nance put his stamp on that. Um, or you got to let it just uh, the crowd take it. Um, it's a road win. So you probably want to, you know, more words are needed there. Uh, you know, it's it's a crowd in Kansas City seeing a loss. So I think Romo just steps in there. I didn't like what Romo said anyways. He didn't say any analysis. He did the job that Jim should be doing. Jim is the one who should be giving you the rest of the story in terms of what this means and and kind of the, for lack of a better term, the reporting on the moment. And instead, he, Romo, danced all over uh, Nance's possible call. So that's not a Nance. Nance's call was fine. And that that clip that we got, uh, you know, it's from CBS's Twitter it, you know, we didn't even get it, it went so long, Romo. Nance came back and at the end kind of put his headline on it, but it was too late. And that's this is for history. And that to me, they they missed that moment. It's just um, look, two weeks ago, we were praising CBS and, and Romo. We were saying how they're going to play this podcast on loop 
things change quickly <laughs> in sports media. You're going to the Super Bowl, like Kansas City. You're going to the Super Bowl one day, and then the next day, you don't want to listen to this podcast ever again. But look, they've had a couple of bad weeks. I think Nance and Romo, they got to just they got to figure it out. That that's they're not on the same page, and it, it really came to fruition the last two weeks. Um, and and that last call, no, Romo's got to stay out of there. Let Nance make the call. I got to say, you hit it right on the head. There was no analysis from the analyst, and that's that that's been a consistent gripe for the past couple of games that Romo has called. All right, next week, Super Bowl week, we're both going to be in Los Angeles. Uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person, John. Hopefully we can get a meal. Uh, and uh, we'll be doing the podcast next week, week of the Super Bowl. We have some big plans, uh, but we're going to keep those to ourselves. But we have some big plans for next week. Hey, uh, so we have a meal. Like, who who owes who the meal? Like, like that's oh, part yeah, that's of our right. head all the time. That right. That beat means that you owe me the meal. Looks fancy. Oh, absolutely. It's either uh, Abe Madcore is going to pick it up or, uh, or the New York Post. There you go. Christopher Shaw. All right. Thank you very much, John. I enjoyed it as always. Always. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Mark Messier for joining us.